0: Hello and welcome back to My First Dungeon, the tabletop role-playing podcast where we help new game masters get started quickly and with confidence. Today we continue our conversation with Fortunate Horses' Taylor Moore, who you probably know from shows like Rude Tales of Magic, Fun City, and Oh These Those Stars of Space. Last week we examined the differences between actual play and narrative play podcasts and attempted to better define the spectrum on which these shows exist. On this episode, we're going to focus on real-world production considerations that will prove invaluable for anyone who wants to create their very own narrative play show. So without further ado, let's dive right back in.
1: Alright, so... Here are some production considerations if you'd like to make a narrative play show. Number one, you need good mics and you got to do multi-track audio because you're going to be doing a lot of post-audio processing. And that means that you're going to want the sound to be good. And you need multi-track audio because you're going to need every speaker on a different channel, on a different track, because you might have to reorganize some of those blocks of dialogue.
0: And, and I don't know. I don't know if you can hear this. I've got a little bit of a stuffy nose. So this entire interview, Taylor's been having to deal with hearing me go.
1: Oh, I have not noticed it at all.
0: Oh, well, that's great. Yeah, but I know no. I will in the edit. But luckily, I have multiple <laughs> tracks and I can cut out my incessant <laughs> that would have driven you and me as a, you know, editor uh, insane. Oh, uh, let me tell you this. Now, if you're going to be doing multi-track recording
1: in the same space. Well, that means th- this is this is very in the weed stuff, but oh my God, I would have killed for this information two years ago. So I'm giving it to you. If you're doing multi-track recording in the same space, you're gonna get a thing called mic bleed, where mm-hmm. one person speaking shows up on another person's mic. So even on multi-track, when you process that person's track, the other voice is gonna be amplified. And this is excruciating. If you want to edit Two lines of dialogue or reaction or laughter that are sonically overlapping, you can't because both tracks are captured on each other. However, there are ways to fix this, and one is this little app called Auphonic, A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C, which does a thing called cross-gating, and it
0: rules. I don't know about this and I'm very because I great. just finished an edit that had a whole bunch of laughter on top of laughter and I want to get it out of there. It, it costs
1: $90, but like worth it. Extremely yeah. worth it. Um, so, yeah, actually, before we go any further, let me address this. Before you make a podcast of any kind at all, you got to decide. Are you going to try and make money or is it just for fun? Yeah, And that decision is. And either one's fine. Either one's fine. But that decision is going to inform the most basic things you do henceforth. So you got to decide. You got to decide. Because if you're going to try and make money with a show, you're going to end up doing things like paying $90 for a desktop app that just does one thing to your audio. Mm-hmm. That You're going to do that. Whereas if you're just in there to have a good time, if you just need an excuse to bring your friends together every week to play D&D, Go for it. That, that's a great
0: excuse. And also, if you're just trying to do it for free, there's also an aspect of how much time you're willing to commit to this. If you yeah. aren't intending to make money on it, you're probably going to, and this is a generalization, you might lean more towards an actual play show where you don't have to spend, you know, my minimum yes. editing time for even my early episodes where I didn't have a lot of audio and cues, eight to 10 hours on an episode. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's low, honestly.
1: Yeah. And if you look at video streamers, even if you're not editing, if you want the show to hang with like the top 10%, look at the sets those people build. I mean, they mm-hmm. look fantastic. Like the idea that people are building these kind of sets and backdrops in their homes is why wa- I think it's so cool and fun. Oh, it's I love so it. so cool. But like, that's something you got to, you know, it's a business consideration. So I'm going to, so I'm the way I'm going to talk about this from here on out, some of these are going to be aesthetic consideration, production considerations, but also you got to understand that I started these shows specifically to be sustainable businesses. Right. Right. Uh, Because the whole point of my company, Fortune Horse, is to get creative people, sustainable, independent careers, where they own what they make. They have a say in what they make, and they don't have to go work at the content mills or late night TV. That's, that's, that's what we do. So these shows were built to try, trying to make something that was financially sustainable so that one of my cast members didn't have to take a shitty job, All right? They can just make this great stuff. So, that being said, ninety dollars offonic. <laughs> so
0: I'm it's absolutely great. going to be doing right.
1: that. Another thing is you need to think about production questions of how you actually play the game. Let me give you an example. So when we're recording Rude Tales of Magic, and both shows do this in different flavors, but since I'm the sole like. I'm the sole editor of Root Tales. So these, those stars of space, I co-produce with Joe Lepore, who does the editing and the DMing. Fun City, I co-produce with Mike Ragnetta, who does, we co-DM the show, and then Mike uh, and uh, Sam Grant do the editing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Root Tales is, up until now, has been entirely me doing the uh, post-production, uh, and I'm listening alongside the show. And one of my advice to you is have someone listening to the show i mean rude tales of magic i'm a producer i'm not on the show i am just listening to every play session and i will break in and i will give notes i will say that line wasn't clear do it again i will say hey y'all just did some crosstalk we missed this word which is very important to the plot the character the scene Go back. Let's record that again. Let's do it again. Or I will jump in and like, here's a pitch how to tie this thing up like really neatly in like a a bow because we got to move on to the next scene because we only, you know, it's been two hours of tape. We got to get you know, all that sort of stuff. Right. It is immensely helpful to have a producer listening in that doesn't have to worry about DMing or playing their character and can just focus on what the show needs and how would a listener be feeling if they're listening to
0: this. And and I'll I'll say on top of that, you know, I'm running as. I am the sole editor on all these shows. I am the DM. It is definitely tough. It's it's a lot of work. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm the producer on top of that as well. So not only am I trying to run this game for my players to make it enjoyable for my players, I'm trying to have considerations for the listener. And there are, I, man, I could go down a rabbit hole of how many times I've missed the mark for one of those two groups. Not, not to a huge detriment, but to enough that I, as a producer and as a DM, know that there is a flaw there. There is yeah. something that could be made better with an extra set of ears taking one of those jobs for me. Absolutely. It, it, it takes a load off of both the producer
1: and the DM and the players. It, yeah. Division of labor exists for a reason.
0: And, and just as it is true that you can't, you know, there's that you know, thing in Hollywood, let's fix it in post. Well, the answer is you can't or you can spend a whole lot of money doing it, probably just doing it again. It's much easier to fix things immediately right when they happen in the same way that it is much better to have good audio going into a good microphone, or at least you can still be very budget conscious, but by making sure you're getting good signal at the source, getting good content at the time you're recording it is a world of difference in post-production. It's so much easier. You don't have to think about it. If you're going into something knowing that a listener is going to be hearing it, think about that the entire time you're making it. That intentionality will make a much better show than if you're trying to fix it later. Because oftentimes you just can't.
1: And that's, and that's easy to say, right? It's easy to say, Hey, consider the listener. But if you really do that, you're going to bump up into some decisions that feel like you were doing something wrong. I'll give you an example. When the pandemic first came down, rude tales of magic was like, fuck, we have to move to remote recording. Um, we can't be in the same room. Mm-hmm. Shit. Like <laughs> we, we thought it was going to sound really bad. So we said, well, instead of recording Canon episodes, that we don't know will sound good. Let's do a little miniseries. You know, and if that sucks, it sucks. But it's not the main show. You know, we can always just say, skip the miniseries. I'm happy to say the miniseries turned out fucking great. Uh, but, okay. So then we record the miniseries. Six, seven episodes. Is, you know, several months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we go back to the main episode. Uh, main storyline. Remote recording. So we were coming back to these characters in this world. And this storyline after months and months and months of not touching or thinking about them. And it was the first time we'd ever recorded remotely with these, the main characters in the main story. And we shit the bed in a major way. Like it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> like we got done with the episode. and We're like, all right, good one. Excited to be back. Yeah. And then a f- few days later, you know, Branson and I are talking and, and uh, it's like, well, How do we feel about that? Like, because it was obviously everybody wasn't crazy about it. And it was just like, well. If this was an AP show. We would put it out there and then we would try to get back on track with the next episode. right? Right. But it's not. We have to consider the listener first. The listener is the person we are going to entertain. This show exists to show the listener a good time. And if we're not showing the listener a good time, we're fucking up. So now that we have an episode that we know is not really a great time for the listener, we are fucking up if we publish it. So we just did it again. And the characters made different decisions. Different things happened in the world. I made different decisions. You know, like we just we did differently and it was way better. And so we just burned an episode. And if you are seriously going to take into consideration the listener's priority as number one. You're going to have to do shit like that, which is frustrating and scary because that sucks. It sucks to take three hours of people's
0: time and then throw it in the trash. But that's what you got to do. And another thing you got to consider there is if you're going to try to make a show that is capable of doing that, that is capable of saying, hey, this was a bad episode. Let's do this all again. You've got to make sure that your collaborators, your team, your players, your DM is also on that same page. If If everyone signs up for an actual play where all they have to do is show up for three hours, And, you know, there's no ADR extra audio. They don't have to record commercials. They don't have to do, they don't have to possibly redo a show. If you all of a sudden dump onto their laps, like, hey, this episode sucked, guys. Let's do it again. You're going to hit that tension that causes friction in a relationship.
1: And and this has a lot to do with your business model, right? So if you're running a production company or if you're paying everyone a flat fee and you're just like, hey, we're going to record this many hours a month, I'm paying you this amount, then and that's it that's the agreement then like you can probably get away with saying like yeah i didn't like that one we're going to spend one session this month re recording that episode or if we're going to go overtime we're going to bump up your pay but rootels of magic like all fortune horse shows runs on a profit sharing model and consensus decision making so we took branson and i took that pitch to the group and we were like hey look we think maybe that last episode did not uh branson's much better at saying this stuff than i am uh but you know something was off we maybe we, we, th- look it's the first fucking pancake you know you right. make pancakes, first the first pancakes pancake always fucking bad. sucks throw it out it's the first pancake no one's fault and if, if if the rest of the group had been like no we loved that like let's we loved those choices we thought it was fun we would have definitely been like well we were wrong let's go forward mm-hmm. you know but the consensus of the group and consensus is where everyone agrees was yeah that was first pancake let's fucking redo it but that's because we chose to use the consensus model You know, um, but yeah, actual play show. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen.
0: And all of that is because there is there's a trust in the group and that relationship was defined at the beginning. Like we're all in this together. Here's how we're going to share in the profits, whether those are monetary or just, you know, social capital.
1: And this goes back to like another reason why we need these terms, because if I go to you and I say, hey, Brian, come be in my show. Mm -hmm. The first thing like one of the first questions you should be asking is, is it actual play or narrative play? Right. Right. If it's actual play, like you said, you go and you do your time, you put on the show and that's that. If it's narrative play, well, I might be emailing you on a Saturday to be like, hey, we got an episode coming out Monday and I need to pick up from your character of this line. Uh, We fucked up a plot thing and the plot's got to work this way. So can you get to your mic and re-record this in the next 12 hours? Right. That happens. Not going to happen on an actual play show, but definitely something you should be on board with for narrative play.
0: So anytime I ask someone to come on any one of my shows, I make it very clear what the commitment is, especially with how much time am I asking them to commit. Because quite frankly, a lot of people who come on as guests on like Cannon Fodder, they're just coming on because they're friends. They're happy. I am promising them a good time that we'll make a product together. I'm also letting them know like, hey, all you have to do is show up and chat. That's all th- that's expected of you. If I'm going into a actual or an actual player and errors play podcast, it's very important to outline What is expected of someone, even if it's something as small as like, hey, help me promote this on social media. Maybe people don't necessarily want to do that. Or maybe that's more of a time commitment than they want. Hey, can you, you know, help me re-record things? Hey, if we start getting commercials, can you help would you record a commercial for me? Something like that. You got to be very clear from the start. If you're thinking of doing this for money or if you're thinking Mm -hmm. of doing a show that requires a larger commitment, just be very, very upfront with people about what that commitment is. Because I've had people who I've asked on Either a cannon fodder like an interview show, or to play a game that's going to take multiple days, multiple episodes, and they'll say, "You know what? I just don't have that kind of time." And it's better to get that nip that in the bud right away than realize that five episodes in, that all of a sudden, actually, I didn't realize this was going to be this big a time commitment.
1: And for yourself as well, there have been Rude Tales of Magic episodes that I have spent over eighty hours in post production.
0: Wow!
1: In the edit and the sound design.
0: What do you What do you think the average is for for Rude Tales? Forty.
1: Forty. Yeah. But every once in a while, every once in a while, like if the gang's not feeling a very long scene, that can make for a very tough edit. Or if there's some extremely complicated things on that require a twelve track session of sound design, mm-hmm. listeners of Root Tales of Magic would know the episode In the Flesh, which is the second to last episode in the Rules Haven arc. That episode took I somewhere between eighty and hundred hours to edit. Jesus it was you know it's big like that's that's part of you you don't have to do that for narrative play that is not necessary but you're gonna be editing a lot more
0: (laughs) I I, I think right now more my my like I said earlier when I was doing very little it was still eight to ten hours yeah now that I'm doing more like I'm you know after listening to Rude Tales and These of Stars and I recently started listening to Mission to Zix which is fantastic as well yeah you hear how much more there is to do And I just want to keep, you know, doing more and more and more. I think my, the latest, I just finished editing an episode this morning. I think that one probably took me over the course of a week in the 20 hour range. So I'm still coming in at half what you guys are doing. Yeah. And that's a lot. I mean, to ask for anybody, that's a lot of time.
1: I'm also dumb. Like I suck. Like I, (laughs) I will put in sound design for things that no reasonable person would do. Uh, And does it make the show better? Sometimes, a lot of times, no. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't fucking know, but I it's I'm just following my own compulsion Mm -hmm. uh, to do it. So it's just like, you know, I'm rubbing my head up against the wallpaper in a ring around the room until I think the episode is done. And because I'm self-employed, I get to do that.
0: (laughs) It's 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 horrible and great. All all of those small decisions, whether or not a listener immediately notices them, still become the sum total that is rude tales, which is clearly working for you. Like this is clear. This is a very popular show. A lot of people love it. It has a could always following. be more popular. Could always be more popular. Everything could be more popular. But all, <laughs> all the shows in the Fortunate Horse Network, there is even if it is unconscious, a listener understands the care that is put into them, and that's something that can't be like the only way to do that is time or money, and often both. Thank and- you so much for saying that. I that's very kind of you. I we I real we we really try
1: to I, one way that we talk about it amongst ourselves is like. I want the listener to feel held. Like I want uh-huh. them to feel like, and this is what, this is a lot about what I think about with music, when I'm uh, putting in the score and the sound design is I want to, because earlier I was saying like, I want to manipulate the, and that's sort of true. I mean, all art is about manipulating the viewer, right. you know, like you me John this. Williams
0: doesn't know what he's doing. John Williams oh, knows buddy. what he's doing.
1: Or even, even weirdo performance artists, like we are trying to affect you with sensory experience to right. reach an emotion. You know, and this is, So obvious it doesn't even bear repeating. But like I I really think about like taking your hand. I want to be like, hey, come with me. You got to check this out. And we hold hands and we're running through the forest. And I'm taking you to show something wonderful. And it's like every aspect of the show should be like an open palm that is outreach towards the listener, like inviting you, like, come along, come with me. And I promise, like, I won't waste your time.
0: And there is really something to be said there where. When you listen to an episode of Rude Tales, A, it just sounds great because it, you guys have taken all the necessary steps. But to make something sound effortless takes so much. I mean, you heard it from, you heard it right here. To do an episode of Rude Tales that sounds amazing, that gets you into that state of being held, of being told a story that you're excited to go on week after week, takes a commitment of 40, 50, 80 hours to do, to the extent that Rude Tales are doing it, even to the extent that just I'm doing 20 hours. And that is just, just post-production. That is just from the time yeah. the recording stops to when it is posted. There's still a lot of considerations for pre-production of like, how do I plan a session for players and yeah. running the actual session? The, the great thing about this model of producing stuff is it
1: moves the lion's share of production from pre to post. Mm-hmm. So pre is, pre is, is a breeze for us. Pre is either Branson on his own Coming up with what the next episode is going to be or me and Branson talking together and figuring out like beats for the next episode. Because sometimes sometimes we don't get a chance to talk or or he's got an idea. is like, I got it. Don't worry about it. And like uh, and we will sit down to record an episode and I have no fucking clue what is about to come out of Branson racist mouth. And other times it's like we will beat out a story or a concept for hours and hours and hours before we record. And it can go anywhere in between those two things. But that's only a couple of hours. And Branson's improv skills are such that he, he is able to come up with phrases and characters and world building stuff off the cuff that most people would not be able to generate anything that fun or funny if they had a whole day to write one idea. You know, that's just that's I mean, like, my number one advice for production is try to work with insanely talented savant level generational talents. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, that's if you my take advice. one thing from this
0: podcast, find a savant.
1: Grab them. They're, I mean, they're they're <laughs> yeah. laying
0: about. You just grab any any old savant you can find.
1: Yeah, uh, if you <laughs> you need like a Joe Lepore level of appreciation for Star Trek: The Next Generation, or like Mike Rugnetta's like voice and world building, it, it, his his perspective. I mean, you just got to find people that are extraordinary in some way. Is one of the main things that you got to do. And God, I've gotten so lucky and probably with that and working with
0: the people at Fortune. There's a thing I just want to say with that. Is when you find someone or when you are someone who has a strength, lean into that strength. If you are a great improviser, make your show all about I'm going to do crazy improv stuff. If you have an encyclopedic knowledge of every episode of Doctor Who and you want to do a role playing show that's just the lost episodes of Doctor Who, use that knowledge and throw it into the ether because people... Very much recognize and appreciate when someone is passionate and when someone is very knowledgeable about something because it comes across in the way that root Tales comes across in the way that oh, these are sort of space comes across as being effortless, effortless mm. effortless, effortless. There we go. There's yeah. mine. You had yours earlier. There's mine. <laughs> uh, it's
1: a funny thing. It's um one thing they teach you in improv. So you mentioned the game of the mm-hmm. scene. So people that haven't been indoctrinated into the Recent uh, improv discourse.
0: Stay away. Stay uh, of away. the last
1: 20, 30 years, the game of the scene is the funny. So, two people step out on stage. They don't know what they're going to say. They talk for a minute, and one of the ways to think about how to make that thing funny for a paying audience member is you want to get pretty funny fast, and mm-hmm. you want to give yourself the the gift of knowing what to do up there. So, here's what you do. So, you find. Maybe your character has a weird perspective, like you're a doctor, but you think about patients like a mechanic thinks about cars, right? The hackest thing you can imagine. So you're going to play a doc. So you go out there, you're a doctor and you say, well, let me take a look under the hood. And the other person's like, what? I'm not a car. Boom. Stop right there. What you have just discovered is. Some improv teachers would say the one weird thing. Other improv teachers would say, oh, that's the game or the hook or something like that. The game is that you are going to be the weirdo. You're a doctor that talks about bodies like cars. Boom. The other person is going to play the patient that like thinks it's weird, but goes along with it. And Mm -hmm. now you know exactly what to do. All you've got to do is act like a doctor, but use car words and just let things build to get crazier. Right. That's all you got to do. And so, What, 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 what you're really doing there is you're saying, you're telling the actors, look for something you can grab, like do some, make a thing, just start out randomly, just like almost like automatic writing or just start talking. But look, all the time you're looking for like some handhold, something like a spark, one funny thing, one unusual thing, some game you could play, something, something that feels different and that you could replicate and then turn into that as hard as you can and turn that up to past 11 to 50 to a hundred to a thousand like, and that's kind of what like the philosophy of plenty or strength is very similar. It's like find an angle and go that direction as hard as you fucking can. And what you'll find is that produces work that to an outsider looks effortless. And it's Mm -hmm. the same as, Uh, resolving a major chord progression in music or the rule of thirds in visual art. It is a trick. It's a lie. It is like a magician just lying to your fucking face. Nothing up my sleeve. Yes, you do
0: motherfucker. You got so many things up your sleeve. It's just a trick that works on audiences. Use it. And as a person who used to be employed as a professional magician, I tell you that is absolutely fucking true.
1: (laughs) I just lied to your face. Yeah. It's like you, I think, I, I, you know, whenever I use music or make music, I realize like, God, this is just tricks. It's just like, it makes no sense that I should be able to go like GDCG and dopamine comes out of your brain, but it does. Right. I don't have to do, I've got to do very little to make that work. And magic, once you understand the fundamental, like the real fundamentals of like magic tricks and misdirections and the, the reveal and all that stuff, it's just like, oh God, human brains are like simple or children's toys. Once you learn a, 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 a few certain tricks, you can kind of make other people's brains just do stuff. And that's like you look at a lot of comedy these days and it's just comedians saying sassy observations in a pattern that we have learned to appreciate as a joke. Patter, right. and so it just registers to us, ha, 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 and we laugh at the and dopamine oh, oh, release. That's comes. A joke.
0: That's joke. Joke timing. There we go. There we go. It
1: is. It is so unfair. It is like going up to someone and screaming at them, and being like, "Ha! I made you
0: jump. I'm a genius."
1: It's like, no. <laughs> Which is very easy to manipulate. And you yelled at me.
0: I, I will say, if anyone's looking for a concrete example of like the game of a scene uh, for anyone who's listened to uh, the first season of My First Dungeon. One of the biggest games in that was Gord's belt. So Gord was a minotaur character. He, had, he was very self-conscious about these ratty pants that he was wearing because he had a belt that was a piece of rope tied in a Gordian knot. A uh, Gordian knot is famously the only solution to untying the Gordian knot is to cut it off. Like the joke is it's easier to... It's Occam's razor. The, the quickest distance between two points is a straight line. So rather yeah. than overthinking it and try to untie it, you cut it off. The entire cast of that episode very quickly realized what was going on Gord was very stupid he couldn't untie this knot that he could very easily cut off so what did we do for the entire three hour session that we played we built up a whole mythos of trying to get Gord to figure out for himself that he could just cut the knot that is that immediately became the game of the scene and it got more and more absurd and because Kevin who was playing Gord is a trained improviser uh, unlike a lot of the people at the table he knew that all he had to do was keep playing along and keep making it more and more absurd that Gord wasn't understanding. And it got more and more fun for the players at the table and I hope for the audience.
1: Yeah, it, it's a really simple like, thing that anyone can learn. It's great at the table. But also the lesson of it, I think, can be expl- like, uh, uh, expanded to include almost anything. Like we've all heard of like an artist finding their voice. Like, oh, you know, she didn't really find her voice until like her third book. And that's where she really developed the style that we associate with her name. Or, you know, like, oh, the podcast is great, but they really find themselves in the (laughs) in the 10th episode, to be generous. Uh, You know, it's like that's what you're doing. You're fine, oh, like, this is the thing. This is the thing that we do that no one else is doing. Or this is the thing that we're really good at. Don't be afraid to just like really turn hardcore into that. Um, All right. I have another production recommendation for a narrative play. Oh, yeah. You need to figure out how, so, well, let me, how do I phrase this? Because I've never actually explained this to anyone outside the show, I don't think. So, in Rude Tales, what we do, so we use the rules of D&D mostly in combat scenarios. Right. And by the way, people are so down on D&D for having mostly combat focused rules, but it actually makes an incredible amount of sense. Most people don't need rules to tell them how to just like talk and convince and persuade other people. But most people don't have a lot of experience wielding a morning star in battle. Right. Right. So it's <laughs> and. Like taking complex uh, environments and moments that involve a lot of multiple players um, doing simultaneous things and describing those things in a way that makes sense to a listener or participant. So it makes sense that the, the most of the rules are focused on the, the areas where we need the most help organizing those moments. Right.
0: And we had a uh, we had Grant Howard on uh, who is the maker of many like one page RPGs, uh, most famously Honey Heist. And he said something that I thought I think fits perfectly with this, that D&D and the larger the Essentially the reason they have three core rule books is because they need to build a massive machine that all you need to do as a DM is crank the machine and the rules spit out because yeah, I don't know how many hit points a door has, like how hard is Mm -hmm. it to knock down a door? I've got a vague sense of it, but when I know exactly what the damage threshold, the AC and the hit points of that door is, I can tell you exactly what you need to do to break down that door. Mm -hmm. When you get into simpler systems like honey heist or like lasers and feelings, a lot of that is put back onto the DM to figure out
1: which can be fine. I I feel like make like figuring that shit out is it was the oh, let's go back to those three sliders, the the fiction, the puzzle and the social, the social aspect of it. Uh, it's like if your group needs high level puzzle slider, if you want to crank that puzzle thing up to 10, you better know the HP of that door because they're doing the math and they want to, they want, they want to feel good by figuring out the math problem and the grid stuff. Uh, so you better fucking know it. But if that sliders, if your group doesn't care about that stuff, if they, if they want to be in a movie, right, you don't need to know, well, the door to the temple has 500 hit points. You just got to make the door to the temple a little hard to get into and then require someone to sacrifice or learn something in order to get into it. And the numbers don't have anything to do with it because you're going back to like the Cambelian, story structure you know and so we're trying to achieve like story beats and it's not the puzzle it depends on the group right so yeah. but battle is a really good example of where rules are extremely helpful we use the battle rules sort of the turn order and all that stuff to organize battle because otherwise it's very chaotic could someone do it without rules absolutely but we just find it easy to to use this you know but here's the thing we have to make it so that it's editable into a narrative stream. So you'll listen listen to a battle on Rue Tales of Magic, and sometimes you'll hear dice rolls mentioned, and sometimes you won't. Sometimes a round will go by, and you might not hear from a character what they do on that round, right? You might not hear what a dice roll is on one turn, but hear it on the next turn. And the reason why is because listener first. And we are assuming that the listener has their puzzle slider down pretty low, right? Not as a statement of all people, but just this is the kind of show we're going to make. And in the same way, you're not going to see a lot of spaceships in Root Tales just because we're a different genre. Our narrative play genre is just like not super heavy on the math and puzzle element. So we assume that most listeners, like most people going to see Raiders of the Lost Ark in a movie theater, they just want to be carried along with the music and the story and the characters and these great, big, crazy things happening. So if a character's turn is uninteresting and doesn't create more narrative opportunities in the greater episode. I cut it. Right. Not fun. If, if, if someone rolls an 11 and it's like, yeah, it happens. I cut it. Not fun. But now if, if, if someone's making a big move and it's going to be very doubtful if it makes and they roll a 20 and everybody at the table goes, holy shit, maybe that's staying in. You know, that's staying in. That's right. good stuff, right? That's exciting. It has a, an emotional content to it and it moves both narratives along. It moves both the narratives of the people at the table and the characters in the story along beautifully. So, but in order to, in order to do this, I have to make sure that when we're in the, cause the, the players are looking at their character sheet and their dice and they're thinking about the grid in their head. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm thinking about the listener. So they will describe their turn in very mathematical, game-ruly sort of way. They will ask Branson, what's possible? Describe how this person is standing. And how many feet am I from the rim of the castle wall? All that stuff. But if it's not interesting, it's got to go. But I've also got to make sure there is enough stuff there that is interesting in case it stays in. So that is like 10 minutes of explanation for something that is extraordinarily simple. <laughs> I, but this is, this is, I told you this was going to happen. I can't shut the fuck up about hey, this I'm stuff. I love it, it. This is great. And we're always, we're always like figuring this process out because I'm about to institute a big change. I think, cause I think we can do better. So we have a system Ooh. that when it's your turn and like we've written this system down, it has each section has names and all this stuff. Like, and I don't think you do this on an actual play. It might develop organically, but because we are doing, we're putting out so much content and making so many, we so, so many recordings, we have to systematize it and systematizing. It helps With the players and me and everyone remembering to do it. So we have game takes and we have narrative takes. And when someone takes a move in a battle or even does like a big action outside of initiative, they have to have a conversation with Branson that is going to include what's possible, what can be done. Maybe there's some dice rolls there. Maybe there's some looking up a rule or something. Very not, not a lot of looking up rules on Rude Tales these days, but our first 16 (laughs) episodes, maybe, you know, maybe some rule looking up. We don't do that anymore. We learned it's completely unnecessary. Doesn't matter. But then once all that is decided, then we will have that person give a narrative take of the action. So assume all the game talk is going to be cut, describe it in a compelling way. And and of course, within that, you have Branson's reactions, the dungeon master's reactions. So and sometimes I will find myself splicing together moments from the table take and the narrative take. To make it clear what's going on, because you have to juggle this information stuff. Because sometimes they'll make a narrative move that doesn't make sense unless you know the person at the table found out this piece of information. Or maybe Branson has a hilarious reaction to a question they ask in the table take that needs to be incorporated into the narrative take just because it's very fun and funny, right? right. So all these things have to be taken into consideration during production. So if someone takes a turn during the game and they forget to give me a narrative take, I've got to break in and say, hey, can we go back? Can you describe it? Yeah. Give me a little bit more description on this or like, or, or can you give me that line again? But like, act like you're out of breath, like you're enacting the battle yourself. Those are the things you've got to do, especially in those big emotionally resonant moments where the stakes are very high or, you know, big, big, big decisions are being made in the story. And with an actual play, of course, this would never, never happen.
0: And that just goes back to fix it at the source. This is true for like the actual audio you're recording, like make sure you have a microphone that is capable of recording good audio. And when you are actually playing the game, design the game so that it is easy to, it makes it easier for you to edit later on. And honestly, like this idea of the game take and the, the narrative take, I think would even be good for actual play where you have the time where you are figuring out the crunchy number stuff and then you as the character narrate it very clearly about what you're doing. Like that's Matt Mercer kind of does happens. this. Yeah. It kind I mean, of happens. That, naturally. That's what, you know,
1: when, when someone kills someone, he's like, All right, how do you want to do this? Like, that's what that is. Yeah. Cause it's like, Oh, the game stuff's done now. Let's go back to the theater of the mind. Like uh, the, the game stuff. And, you know, I don't know if that happened organically in their game or if Matt was like, this is going to be really enter- entertaining or what, but like, that's a really good example of, I, you know, we didn't invent this shit, but you know, critical role already doing that sort of stuff. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, do it organically. But when you're doing this production professionally and you're committing to a style of the show, you've got to systematize it and you've got to make sure you get that content every time someone takes a turn. It's a consideration. You, know, you can't wait for it organically to happen. And I think maybe that's one of the biggest differences between the actual play and the narrative play. Narrative play, it's like, let's let's do our best job to make a great story. Whereas with actual play... Let's do our let's do a job. Let's do a good job to make a great story. But if it doesn't happen well, some games, it just doesn't happen. Whereas you can't really allow that with a narrative play.
0: And I think, you know, if you're looking at this conversation whole and you're getting to this point and thinking, do I want to run a show for just for fun? Do I want to just run a home game, just run or run a show for profit? Think about the things that are really being talked about here. They are producing a great show. But within that. They have documents that relate to how they're doing turns. They are actively thinking about these very minute details. Is this something you want to do with your show? Is this something that excites you? Like When, when you're talking about like how you guys produce the show and how you physically do the recording, I'm like, fuck, yeah, this is so cool. I'm going to like incorporate some of this into my... Like, I'm actually thinking about it, being excited about it. If that doesn't excite you, maybe you are looking more towards an actual play where you are recording something for your friends and trying to capture the best audio right there. If this excites you and you're thinking like, Oh, how can I enhance this game, make it better as it's being recorded? You might be looking at narrative play. Both sides of that spectrum are fine, but if you have an intentionality of what you're trying to do, you will have a much better and easier time doing it. And I would suggest that if you think you can do better, if you think that
1: you can figure out practices in production at the table to produce a narrative play show without a lot of post-production, please figure that out and tell me immediately <laughs> what you have done. Cause I'm giving you a lot of, you know, the listener, I'm giving the listener a lot of info here. If you can figure out better table practices, you better fucking email me. <laughs> I want to know. Cause I really do believe that like we are, I am so far away from figuring out the ideal way to do this. Uh, someone is going to come along and figure out a way to like, instigate like practices at the table that allow this kind of thing to happen without a lot of editing. You're, I mean, the, cat, honestly, that kind of show casting is the hard part. You need brilliant oh, yeah. improvisers who are also rules geniuses and are able to perfectly communicate the, in the mechanics of the game you're using while keeping it simultaneously, narratively interesting to the listener flawlessly every time it is possible. I believe someone can do it. I cannot wait until I can't wait to hear it.
0: Like we we joked about it earlier when we were talking about like the, this American life document, how everything it's, you know, so old, everything they were talking about was like how to splice cassette tapes.
1: This, this,
0: you know, quote unquote art form is, you know, ostentatious as that makes it sound. This genre is in its nascent phase of being the cassette tape phase. There is someone out there who is going to invent the, you know, digital audio workstation version of this. And they'll be looking back at this conversation and be like, why were they taking 50 hours? To, why didn't they just do this at their table? Why didn't they just? <laughs> and, you know, for if anyone's listening back and hearing this, like, you know, I, I hope you told us because otherwise we're going to be keep slaving away at 20, 40 hour edits to make the things that we want to make. Yeah, and I, I hope that like the I hope that
1: the the narrative play genre yeah the narrative play genre like it's not even a genre though it's more like a method i hope that the narrative play production style expands so much that people don't even need like like i i i I really want to see like a like a, a game designer build a game for a narrative play show you know like sure yeah what like if if it was gonna be video that's a different game than audio right because if it's If it's on audio, maybe you want to have the game be something that even when you are talking about the game, it is narratively compelling in audio or video, you know, video. Oh, boy, you could do a lot of stuff with that because then the game could be visually based as well. So it's like I would love to see that. I would love to see game designers build games just for narrative play. And now that's really got me be thinking because that would because be so cool
0: when I'm rich, I will be commissioning this. I promise you literally all the all the actual play shows, all the narrative play shows they're having right now are built on the yep. design of something that was not intended to be exactly consumed as it, audio it, or visual. It's, the, it's the, oh, the, the, my God, the, what a fucking great statement you just made. Oh, my God.
1: Look at the early days of TV and film, the early days of TV. Absolutely. You know what they did a lot of? They would put cameras around a stage and they would broadcast a play. Yeah, right. And it's like, no, you dummies. Well, you, and, you're, like, even, you're, you're sort even of like, there.
0: And even <laughs> acting, they were still, people were acting for the back of the audience as you were doing theater. They didn't know that the camera could be right up in your fucking Absolutely. face and you didn't you know, need to so emote funny. so large.
1: People made movies before they realized you could intercut between scenes that were happen, happening simultaneously. Yeah. Like people made feature films before. What was his name that made Birth of a Nation? The, uh, the, isn't that crazy? That, like the Klan propaganda movie. Yeah, invented the most bummer. popular storytelling technique of the 20th century. The intercut between scenes. Really, like even if you look all the way to like the earliest actual play podcast or uh, video streams like till now, we've only scratched the surface of what's possible with this. Uh, and I I really cannot wait to see like the next generation of it. I, I, I like I've got ideas for shows. I really want to I want to get away from the fantasy genre. I want to mm-hmm. get away from sci fi. I want to get away from Dean and I really want to get away from Shadowrun. Like you, you want to talk <laughs> about like <laughs> like function, like form kicking functions ass. Try to make a goddamn entertaining Shadowrun show that 25
0: percent of our audience right there.
1: <laughs> I no, Listen, I love Shadowrun. I, that is one of my favorite games to play at a table. I love playing it. I love character creation in Shadowrun. I love because you just buy stuff. It's so good. Um, I mm-hmm. love the world of Shadowrun. It's it's one of my favorite worlds to play in, uh, and I I all the designers and writers for it I, I, I have done something so much fun. But those that rule set is not built to entertain observers. It is, and the way that rule like it is such a heavy simulationist game. Mm-hmm. It I, Unless you are a fan of the rules of Shadowrun, it is damaging. Ra- it's like shrink off radiation, just like melting everyone who observes it and tries to have a good time so much. And I've talked to other Shadowrun shows. You talk to the Neo Scum folks. You talk to Ganon Reedy who DMs uh, Neil Scum. And I'm sure, you know, he agrees with Mike Ragnetta and I like the, the Shadowrun <laughs> rule set is a mistake to use to entertain anybody other than people playing it that want that rule slider all the way up to 10. Right, right. It's tough. So we're actually, you know, we're actually working on a like Shadowrun point five, Fun City next. Yeah, we're, we are. Mike is building a new rule set based on Shadowrun for the show, and obviously, like Branson has just sort of created this. Uh, uh, it's like if D and D was an ice cube and you melted it down and then put it in your mouth and spit it in the face of someone. <laughs> that's. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we use. And listen, we we had an episode. We we just recorded an episode of uh, These Those Stars of Space, which already uses one of the most famously light rule set in the world, lasers and feelings. Yep. And we barely play it. Like there was an episode where I think we rolled dice one time, once. And at that point, you have to say like, well, are we even playing a game for the show? And my response to that is. That is a stupid question. The only question that <laughs> matters is are you having a good time, buddy?
0: Are you yeah. winning, son? O- audience isn't keeping count how many times we roll the dice. I promise so you do. that.
1: So that's the thing. My last piece of advice to the to the uh, uh, nascent narrative play uh, producer is this. People are going to hate your fucking guts for not putting dice rolls in the show. Yeah. Just be prepared. Be prepared. That you are going to get online comments directed at you that are like, eh, I like the show, but they cut the game out. I like the game. You're going to get comments. Be like, uh, eh, railroading. You're going to get comments that are just like all sorts of different things and to just ignore them.
0: If you're hearing that and that doesn't sound like your cup of tea, maybe you just want to run a really fucking fun home game, help record yeah. it, edit it, send it to your friends. If you're not ready to take that kind of criticism and have to like hear it, regardless of whether or not it's true, because most of the time it's not fucking true, maybe don't throw something to the public that you aren't ready to have eviscerated.
1: I mean, making anything online, you're going to have people yelling at you, you know, yeah. and depending on what kind of person you are, that can be a two or 20 or, you know, and by, by, by factors of 10. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. But like specifically about making this kind of show, you are going to be surprised at people's emotional attachment to hearing the number on a dice, but it's a very small number of people.
0: I mean, like, you know, but they're just the most vocal. I do think, though, that also comes back to kind of like the thesis of this episode of we don't have the proper vocabulary. Because when you talk about what, yeah. if you said Rude Tales was a D&D actual play show, the expectation I have is I'm going to see the rule set of D&D play. And I'm going to see bards and gnomes and clerics and stuff. And I'm going to hear a D20 be rolled and someone's going to look at that D20, add a modifier, compare that to a DC. If we use that incorrect nomenclature of actual play D&D then that expectation will not be correct. And there'll be that tension. That's where some of that is coming from. And as we kind of, you know, evolve this, this spectrum and better define it, better come up with this vocabulary, you know, as kind of broad as this idea and vague as this idea is the better we'll be able to, Enjoy these shows. I don't even know where I'm going with this. I think like just by if we talk about this more and like realize that everyone can have fun and we don't all have to be one goddamn big ass box. Yeah, we don't have to be one thing. The world could be more than one thing. The world could be more than one thing. You know, I could have said that in six words instead.
1: The thing is, is that like we live in a society that like doesn't allow people to do a lot of great things. Well, you know, and so it's like one time I remember I was hiking. I got lost in the woods for 13 hours with no food or water. And eventually I put a twig in my mouth just to have something to chew. And a couple of minutes later, I realized without knowing it, I had eaten the twig. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think that I think that everybody's eaten a lot of twigs because. We're obviously starved for any sense of like community or meaning in our normal lives where work and family and community have been absorbed into this, uh, you know, post-capitalist hyper simulacra of human existence. And so people are just desperate for any activity or meaning that 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 feels in any way interesting. But, yeah, buddy, don't eat the twig. (laughs)
0: Look
1: a little harder for food. I don't know what to
0: tell you. That's crazy. I'm glad you're I'm glad you escaped with your it was life. A small
1: twig. Oh, man. When I made it back to my tent, I ate two whole jars of peanut butter
0: <laughs> as was rightly deserved. Man. <laughs> yeah,
1: kind of disappointed in myself that like, 13
0: hours is all it takes to eat a stick. I mean, you, you think, know what? You know what? You maybe think you longer. like you can think of that two ways. It, it took me 13 hours before I had to eat a stick. Or maybe it was like I recognize my predicament. I understand what's happening here. It only took me 13 hours to realize I should probably start eating twigs just in case
1: (laughs) it was mindless, though. Like, and that's the thing is, I think that it's if I had if if I had stopped mid eating the twig and thought to myself, wait, hold on. I just chewed up this twig. Am I about to swallow the twig? I might have been like, no, get out of here. But it's my we you know, we have these desires That we don't consciously understand. This is what all therapy and all cultural criticism and all psychoanalysis is about. That we're driven by these needs and patterns of behavior that we don't consciously understand. So someone can be really into posting on the like, I hate the McElroy's whatever subreddit. Mm -hmm. Forget what it's called. And it's just like, I really think if someone just put just out of really not judgment, kindness and solidarity, just put a hand on their shoulder and been like. My friend. This is not the way like let's let's do anything else, anything else at all. Maybe some of them will be like, oh, God, you're right. What am I doing?
0: But we spend so much time on this (laughs) subreddit that no one cares about.
1: But but society doesn't allow us to say that to each other. So we do all these crazy things because our drives are acting in in the same way that my body was hungry. Didn't know what to do because there was no food. Ate a stick. We have these needs for community and friendship and meaning and purpose and, and to be heard mm-hmm. and to speak. But outside of any real, like, meaningful way to experience those things, we create these weird simulacra, like eating a twig. We're just going through the motions. And that's not
0: really part of the purview of this podcast. I guess I got off track. The two biggest things we got to remember here are, one, just don't go on indie tabletop <laughs> RPG Twitter. It's a bad place. I think there are great creators, but the discourse is bad. And second, don't eat the twig. Just don't eat the twig. Try not to eat the twig. Do your bit. You, you know, know, if you gotta, you at least have make a conscious decision to eat the twig.
1: Yeah. Look, realize you ate a twig and be like, oh man, goofy humans of which I am one. We are a weird bunch. And then try not to eat any twigs anymore.
0: Yeah, you did it. You tried it. You had to do it. Oh, okay, we'll do it again. So we've covered pretty well this idea of this spectrum from actual play to narrative play. We've talked about kind of the pre-production, production, production, post-production things. If you want to make a game like this, why you should make it, why you maybe shouldn't, if some of these things are less palatable or scaring you off a little bit. For people who maybe aren't as aware of the breadth and spectrum of tabletop role-playing podcasts or shows, are there any things that you would recommend people check out on either side of the spectrum, in the actual play shows, and the narrative play shows, that you think are doing cool things, that you think are... If not, the next generation have the potential to be that, you know, that digital generation where we are. We're still in the cassette generation of this genre. (laughs) Um, Well, one of my favorite podcasts
1: that is very good at playing game on Mike and making that game a wonderful fast, like a really cool story is Campaign Skyjacks. Do You know that show?
0: I don't know this show.
1: Uh, Yeah, uh, the show is called Campaign. They had like years and years of like a Star Wars campaign. And now they've been playing this sort of homebrew setting with Sky Pirates. And I just love it. I think uh, it's so well done. They are, you know, a lot of streamers and a lot of podcasts, they try to make these big emotional story beats happen, and it's very Uh cringe-inducing. And I say that without judgment, other than I don't like it. But, you know, they're doing great, but it's like, like, the shit's hard.
0: Right. (laughs) Like, People get paid millions of dollars to make narrative arcs, and it doesn't work.
1: Oh, my God. I just watched the Eternals movie. That movie cost Uh, enough to feed every person. That movie costs enough to house the homeless in half the in the country. And it's a piece of shit. They paid like you can spend hundreds of billions of dollars paying the smartest, most talented and prolific creative writers and image creators in the world to make a thing. And it will still suck. This stuff is very hard. So, you know, no shade to them. But what I love about Campaign Skyjacks they're, they they keep the game stuff in, but it's never really boring. It's always interesting. They really are. They, they make it seem effortless to move back and forth between the table and the story. And it, it, like the world, Sky Pirates sounds hack, but the way they do it is so much fun. I, know, Sky Pirates uh, I, I really like it. Yeah.
0: Great to me. You, you had it, me at it, it's Sky a blast. Pirates. I was like, fuck, yeah, let's go. Yeah.
1: And it's a bunch of like Chicago uh, games, folks and improvisers, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're a blast. They're really fun. They're great. <laughs>
0: And I'll put I'll put a link to that in the show notes. All you guys got to do is click it and listen. You'll check it out. All right, other shows I think are great. Critical Bits is great.
1: Neo Scum is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Join the Party is really fun. Join the Party does a neat thing. They have like two feeds: one for people who know how to like what DD is, and one for people that need everything explained,
0: which I think is a neat way to do it. And it's so the now same now episode. And it, and yeah. It's the same episode, just like one yeah. with cliff notes and one without. That. That's very cool. I like that oh, a lot. No, the audio is different. It's like different cuts. Oh, that, fun? Interesting. that is very cool. I can't that's imagine fun. the uh, the extra work to do that, but I love oh, yeah.
1: it. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. Oh, I think uh, Dungeon and Daddies is really great about knowing when to play by the rules and when not to. There, that's mm-hmm. a really good example of like, just go out there and have a good goddamn time. And if it works, it's working.
0: Right. Yeah, they get it. My God. OK, this conversation went on so much longer than I anticipated. But for, I, the, I, for I, the better. Did you anticipated? I told you. Before we
1: hit record, and I, I say honest, anticipate
0: I, me going long. I think I think I believed you, but there's a part of me that's like, oh, everyone thinks they, they talk yeah. a lot, and everyone thinks they can, like, really... Ho- Man, this has been truly fantastic. I thought we had, you know, 45 minutes of stuff to get into. But like this is a topic that I really want to like I really want people to keep talking about and keep like really experimenting in this space because yes, I love these shows. I want to see what the next generation of shows looks like. But I do think that we are in the very early stages of this genre and I can't wait to see what happens. And anything that I can do to get this genre further into the future, I will absolutely do. And I will scream it from the rooftops. And, you know, this podcast is proof of it. Taylor, thank you so much for joining me today. Honestly, this has been fantastic that you've been so generous with your time. Thank you so much. Oh, a pleasure. I mean, it's just generous just with so my time fun.
1: I'm like a time vampire that's like thanking a vampire <laughs> thank you for rubbing your teeth against my neck and sucking all my juices just, out you've no, been no, so I've just, I've,
0: generous with your teeth it's been I've, great I've taken two hours from your life you can't get back and I I'm not sorry this is two hours I'm gonna be uh, I'm very happy to give you you get have. here you go here just you You want extra couple seconds here you go yeah take it up uh, uh, suck that up love, love to have a thrall and listener, if you glean nothing else from this podcast, nothing else from this, this hour and a half, two-hour conversation we had, please, please, please remember, check out the fantastic Narrative play shows from Fortune to Horse. You got Rude Tales of Magic. You got Fun City. You got Oh, These Those Stars of Space. You can get these wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening to this podcast, you know exactly how to get a podcast. Type it into the search thingy. Click the other thingy. Click on the episode. That's how you get a podcast. Yep. And if you fall in love with these shows the way I have, Please consider supporting one or more of them on Patreon. You get a bunch of extra episodes, talkbacks, all kinds of great bonus content. These are very active Patreons. Please, please, please check them out. Support people who are making great shows like these. And you can find Taylor on Twitter uh, if you want to give him shit for all his hot takes. Or say, hey, I totally agree with you. It's at Taylor.biz. That's at T-A-Y-L-O-R-D-O-T-B-I-Z. And you can keep up with news on this show and all the others in the Fractured Realms on Twitter at 20 Sided Pod. That's T-W-E-N-T-Y S-I-D-E-D P-O-D. And that is all for this episode of My First Dungeon. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, if you're having fun, you're already doing it right. Good job. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Ah, <laughs> uh, great. Dude, that was fucking great, man. That was so much fun. Hey everybody, this is Brian, your friendly neighborhood dungeon master, and the host of Cannon Fodder. If you want to learn even more about the Fractured Realms and also discover brand new playable content, DM tips and tricks, and interviews with interesting people in the TTRPG community, consider checking out the 20 Sided Newsletter. It's a free bi monthly email newsletter that delivers a ton of cool content and keeps you up to date on all the latest projects within the 20 Sided Podcast universe. To subscribe, you can click on the link below in the show notes or go to 20sidedpodcasts.substack.com. Thanks.